We're going to study the book of, a portion of the book of Nehemiah this morning uh, in chapter 6, so you might want to turn there and find that. Um, but I think I owe you something. Um, uh, I know that you're all unnerved by the events of Friday night in Paris. We all are. Um, I I don't know what to say except to try and and set it in some manner of context. Uh, We are, as a country, we are appalled at the animals who um, perpetrated that crime. And animals they are. Um, But ladies and gentlemen, uh, before you race to the conclusion that America is... um, in any way better, and uh, you know, I, I guess you could probably compare the crimes, but uh, we're aborting, well, I don't know, what is it, uh, several hundred babies a month in Shelby County and several thousand in a month in the country. We're now calling transgender uh, uh, sexuality normal. Uh, we are celebrating uh, homosexual marriage in this country. Um, guys, the problem is sin. It's sin. Now, you, you think, well, that's a little word. Well, it is a little word, and, but it is. The problem with the terrorists is sin. The problem with the United States And I'm not saying we deserve this. I'm I'm just saying, before we jump out in our righteous indignation, recognize that our country is wicked. And um, the only remedy, the only remedy, do you hear me? The only remedy is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Education's not the remedy. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to ramp up the military strikes, and we're going, to, uh, we're going to kill, I think, 129 is what happened Friday night. We're going to kill another 129 of them. And then that's not called uh, righting the situation. It's called revenge. And then they're going to kill some more. We're going to kill some more because the problem is sin. It's sin, guys. And we just got a huge illustration of sin on Friday night. But um, there's lots of illustrations of that around. Right in our own backyards. Right here in Germantown, guys. And uh, the solution and remedy is the same. Maybe, Maybe you expected me to say something like that. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, there is no other remedy. There isn't anymore. So um, I hope at least that'll give you a, a, a bit of context as we try to think through and process this horrible thing that's happened on Friday night. Guys, we're in chapter 6, uh, verse 1, and I'm going to read it in just a minute. But before I do, uh, let, me, um, let me start by giving you a bit of, of a progress report, that is, as to where we are as this story uh, unfolds in the book of Nehemiah. Um, 
You know, when Nehemiah appeared before all the Jews there in Jerusalem and he says, he told them what he wanted to do and they responded by saying, okay, yay, that's great, let's build that wall. That's, that's back in chapter 2, verse 18, okay? That's where they all decided, okay, we're going to get going, let's, let's, let's build the wall. Now, right on the heels of their saying that and agreeing to that project, two very fine donkeys raise their ugly heads. You remember Sanballat and Tobiah, and, uh, and the battle is on between uh, the people trying to build the wall and the opposition. But we're told in chapter 4, verse 6, um, that um, in spite of all the opposition, the wall, uh, by chapter 4, verse 6, is halfway up. Um, and then, of course, there is that ugly little scene that we... Um, that we looked at in chapter 5, where Jews are being bought into slavery by other Jews. And that's, that's in chapter 5. But, but that gets handled in a, in a fairly righteous manner, um, Nehemiah, led by Nehemiah. And so they, they set aside that, that wickedness and, and kind of moving on. And that all brings us to chapter 6, which is what I'm going to read to you. Um, I'm going to read the first 16 verses of Nehemiah chapter 6. Um, so you follow as I read this, which is inerrant, infallible, inspired. It's the very mind of God. There's black words on a white page. So you follow as I read some of it. Now it happened when Sinballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall, that there, that there were no breaks left in it, though at that time I had, hung, I had not hung the doors and the gates, that um, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plains of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it to go down to you? But they sent me this message four times, and I answered them in the same manner. Then Sanballat sent his servant to me, as before, the fifth time, with an open letter in his hand, it, in it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall that you may be their king. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim uh, con uh, concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah. Uh, now these matters will, will be reported to the king, so come, therefore, and let us consult together. Then I said to them, saying, no such things are, you say, as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. For they all were trying to make us afraid, saying, Their hands will be weakened in the work, and it will not be done. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Afterward, I, said, I came to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehatabal, who was a secret informer, and he said, Let us meet in the house of God within the temple, and let us close the door of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. Indeed, at night they will come to kill you. And I said, should, a, should such a man as I flee? And who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I, I will not go in. Then I perceived that God had not sent him at all, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobias and Zambala had hired him. For this reason he was hired, that I should be afraid and act that way and sin, so that they might have cause for an evil report that they might reproach me. Uh, my God, remember uh, Tobiah and Sanballat according to these, their works, and the prophetess Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets who would have made me afraid. 
So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. And it happened when all our enemies heard it and all the nations around us saw these things that they were very disheartened in their own eyes. For they perceived that this work was done by our God. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. You'll notice, I, I think, that chapter 6 opens by telling us that the, that the wall is finished. Well, it's done, except there was no gates uh, hung just yet. Now, of course, uh, it is said that a city wall without gates is no city wall at all, but it's just, giving, it's just telling you where they are. Um, and at that time, um, um, the enemies, sensing that they're about to be successful in building this wall, these bad guys, they devise a plan. Uh, a plan intending to um, kill Nehemiah, and they call for a summit meeting. A summit meeting lets us, um, we need to meet on the plains of Ono. And to that, Nehemiah says, Ono to Ono. I have been dying to say that. <laughs> Uh, for weeks of preparation, I, that, that is the highlight of the sermon right there, so we might as well close. But, uh, but he says, no, I'm not going uh, to, to meet you at your, your summit meeting. Um, and Nehemiah is not going to go because he smells a rat, um, and then he gets back to work. They try to, you know, frighten him, blows that off, and, uh, and he gets back to work, which really brings us to verse 15 of chapter 6. Um, and we're told there in verse 15 that the project is finished. In 52 days, less than two months, in less than two months, Nehemiah and his friends have accomplished what the same group of Jews could not accomplish, uh, could not accomplish in 90 years, uh, apparently because of apathy, I, I, I don't know, but they get it done in 52 days. Now, how did they do that? Now, guys, this is a key part of the story, and you cannot miss it. Um, it, it's really found in verse 16, and it comes really um, as a description of the enemies who say they were very disheartened and in their own eyes. And, and notice, for they perceived that the work was done by our God. Now, gang, that's not the first time he said that. It's in chapter 2, verse 18, uh, verse 20. It's, it's, we, we've already taken note of it three or four times already. We're halfway through the book. Where Nehemiah attributes all of this, we'll call it success, to the kindness of God intervening on their, on their behalf. 
Nehemiah clearly understands that the, um, the prosperity of his mission was due to the kind interventions of God all along the way. Guys, Nehemiah is telling his story not so that you and I would pause to celebrate what a great leader he was. That's not why he's telling this story. He's telling this story so that all of us will know that the only way that any of this could ever get done was that God would smile on the project. What Nehemiah wants us to do is not celebrate his leadership. What Nehemiah wants us to do is to celebrate the great goodness of God in his kind interventions all along the way. Now, I want to show you an illustration of that in the story. Um, Because back in chapter 4, verse 6, a text that, by the way, I used early on when we started this church, but um, Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6 said, We built the wall, um, and the entire wall was joined together up uh, to half of its height, And you'll notice, for the people had a mind to work. Well, where did that come from? That human element. Um, For 90 years, they didn't have a mind to work. But now, all of a sudden, they've got a mind to work. Where did it come from? Well, Nehemiah would have you know that the people had a mind to work because... God gave them a mind to work. That that mind to work on the part of the people is another illustration of the interventions of God. God raising up people to accomplish things for his own glory. That is, God accomplishes things through his people um, because they, we are a part of the machinery of the accomplishment of redemptive purposes. Now, guys, that might sound real churchy to you. Yeah, well, God's people accomplish great things. That might sound real churchy or hackneyed or trite or whatever. And that's where chapter 3 comes in. Um, did you think I was going to skip chapter 3? Mm-hmm. That's, what, that's what you're being told in chapter 3. Now, guys, I'm not going to read chapter 3. It's, it's too long. But I, I want to show you what's in chapter 3. So you might want to take a look at it. And, I'll, and, and I mean, guys, it would, be, it would be a great victory on my part if you will just look at your text and and see that what I'm telling you is right there in chapter 3. I mean, um, okay, guys. Um, 
Chapter 3, verse 1, let me tell you what's going on. Nehemiah is giving a report as to how the wall is being built. It's not that he's literally going around the wall, but he starts in verse 1 at the sheep gate. There are 11 gates mentioned in chapter 3, 11 gates. He starts at the sheep gate, and he goes around the wall, and he reports to us, he tells us who is working on what part and what section <coughs> pardon me, of the wall. He's telling you, that this wall, before, before it gets halfway built, he's just telling you who all is um, working around the wall. So he starts at the sheep gate, he goes around the wall, and he tells you who's working on it, and he goes all the way around the wall, and he stops back at the sheep gate. And he mentions 41 separate groups of people. 41 work crews that are working on, on the wall. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention some of them, and I'm going to do it, I'm going to try to do it rather quickly. Verse 1, we are told that the priests are working on a certain section of the wall. Next to them, in verse 2, um, it is men of Jericho who are working. Now, of course, Jericho, that would mean they're commuters, because they would not directly benefit from the building of the wall, but they're coming into town every uh, so often to work on the wall. Next to them is a guy by the name of Zakur, in verse 2, who is apparently some kind of loner. And then in verse 4, a guy by the name of Merimoth had a group that was working with him. He's a nobody. We don't know anything about him. Then in chapter, <coughs> in verse 5, we're told that men of Tekoa are working. Uh, you remember Amos was from, uh, from Decoa. Amos was a, sh- uh, a sheep herder. So apparently, or maybe, these men were a bunch of shepherds and they're mentioned in verse 5. In verse 7, the men of Gibeon and Mizpah um, are mentioned as working on a section of the wall. You remember Gibeon? Those were the guys who came and um, hoodwinked Joshua by trying to convince them that they were from this far, far, far away country and really they were really right next door. Remember them? But the Gibeonites are mentioned in verse 7 as working on the wall. Then in verse 8, you get two groups of people who are artisans, goldsmiths and perfumers. These guys are craftsmen. They're used to doing tiny little work, you know, with their, with their hands, but now they're doing the backbreaking work of working on a wall. They're mentioned in verse 8. Verse 9, a government official is mentioned. Verse 12, another government official whose name is, who is named, his name is Shalom, and he's brought his daughters with him. They're working in verse 12. Verse 14, a city official is mentioned. Verse 16, another guy by the name of Nehemiah, not this Nehemiah, but another Nehemiah has got a group, and he's working in another section. In verse 17, the Levites, that would be the clergy. Good for them. The clergy's a, a pitching in too. So the Levites are working, and they're mentioned in verse 17. Verse 19, you get the mention of two single guys, two bachelors who are working on the wall. Um, and then in verse 22, you get the mention of some priests who are men of the plain. That is, there's some out-of-town priests. And then in verse 26, the Nethanim are mentioned, um, who are temple servants. And then in verse 27, you have another group of people from Tekoa, or Tekoa. 
They're working on another section. And then in verse 29, security guards are mentioned. And then in verse 32, a group of merchants or businessmen are working on the wall. Now, all of these people, 41 different uh, groups of people working on the wall, all united by what? By a project that is designed to produce good for God's people. Now, guys, here's what you got. You've got a group of priests who are working side by side with a God who's nobody, who nobody has ever heard of. And they're working right next to a bunch of shepherds who are probably very poor people. And then you're, they're working next to people who are Gibeonites, and those guys are liars, as you know. And then, then from uh, right next to them, or shoulder to shoulder to the Gibeonites, you have the artisans, the craftsmen, the goldsmiths, and the perfumers. Right next to them, working side by side, is a, a government official. And then next to the government officials, you've got clergy. And from right next to the clergy, you've got a couple of bachelors who are working. And then a group of blue-collar are mentioned, and then a group of white-collar are mentioned. All working. All very diverse. Blue collar, white collar, poor, rich, clergy, non-clergy, artisans, unskilled. All working side by side on a project that is designed to benefit the people of God. Mama, um, what do you think the Spirit of God is seeking to tell us? Do you think he wants us to pause and say nice things about Nehemiah's organizational skills? And what a good administrator Nehemiah was. Or do you think there's another point? I do. And I think the point has to do with this is what happens when the Spirit of God intervenes on behalf of His people to accomplish a redemptive purpose through His people. They all get a mind to work. Gang, do you know what this looks like? I mean, if you know your New Testament, you know what it looks like. This looks like 1 Corinthians 12. You know what's in 1 Corinthians 12? That's when Paul introduces a metaphor that is used by all of us. It's a metaphor of the body. Remember? He calls the people of God a body. He says that the body, that is the people of God, are like a body. And then he mentions the various parts of the body. You know, this, this body of mine's got a lot of different parts in it. Um, in fact, 
in, in, in a couple of places in 1 Corinthians, I think it's 24 and 25 or 23 and 24, he talks about presentable parts and unpresentable parts of the body. <laughs> he mentions hands and eyes. But then he talks about presentable parts and unpresentable parts, and he's talking about the body having all this diversity to it. Just like this body, it's got all kinds of different things in here that work. And when they all work, all these things in here, this body works well. But should the liver decide to take a day off, I'm going to be one sick puppy. Ladies and gentlemen, that is what you're seeing take place in Nehemiah chapter 3. All of this diversity united around a common cause. And do you know what Nehemiah is? Nehemiah is just a mini-savior who is pointing the rest of us to the real Savior. And he gives us an illustration of a bunch of diversity working side by side, creating a sweet smelling unity. That's how the wall gets built. In 52 days. <laughs> think of that. But also think of this. What happens to this body when, when certain parts of it just don't function? <laughs> I'm finding out, you know. The older I get. But changing metaphors... What happens, what happens to the wall if certain parts of the people of God decide, I ain't doing that. Well, here's what happens. The wall doesn't get built. The people of God are vulnerable. And their enemies overrun them because certain parts of the group decided I ain't doing nothing. <laughs> um, guys, there's a really I, I, 
in my notes, I call it a neat. I don't even like that word um, because it's, it's not just neat. But it's stuck in this passage. I, I, the Holy Spirit included it for just such an interesting... I, look at it. It's in chapter 3, verse 5. Next to them, Zadok, the son of Bana, made repairs. Next to them, the Decoites made repairs. But, look at it. Their nobles did not put their shoulders to the work of their Lord. In the midst of these people, there were a few, a few albatrosses who were too good for such menial work. You see, not everybody was on board because the nobles, the nobles said, I'll be served, but I'm not going to serve. People, people in their midst, people who lived there, but who were really not a part of the project. It never fails. Um, there's always some nobles. who find a reason to object. But the project goes on without them. You know, guys, um, back in the 80s and the 90s, before some of you were born, um, there was this thing in the church, uh, not, not just Gracie Van, but all over the... In fact, there was articles written about it um, it was called Worship Wars. And the church, you may remember, if you were a part of the church back in the 80s and 90s, the church was fighting over music. You know, what kind of music should the church be playing? You know, should we have contemporary music? Should we have, uh, you know, uh, rock and roll music with fog machines? Uh, should we have um, traditional? Should we have classical? You know, what, what kind of music? Those were called the Worship Wars. Well, Gracie Van was started in 91, so, I mean, we kind of started right in the middle of all that conversation, and it, and it began to seep in here. And do you know how we solved it? We solved it with 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, which said, or says, that the body is made up of all kinds of various members. There's some people who like Johnny Cash. <laughs> Shoot me in the foot. There are people who like, you know, um, the Bee Gees. There are people who um, are really fond of Carrie Underwood. All kinds of diversity in this place. All who make a valid contribution that is to be celebrated. And that's what we did. 
we said, okay. It may not be my cup of tea, but it's in the body. It's needed for the healthy functioning of the body. So let it alone and celebrate it. And that's what we did. Um, guys, what I'm saying to you is that Nehemiah's project that got completed in verse 15 is reflective of the body of Christ and Christ's ministry. That is, Nehemiah is a mini-savior who is pointing us to the real one. He's calling all of God's people to work side by side, celebrating diversity, understanding their contributions are coming from everybody, from the artisans, the white collars, the blue collars, the nobodies, the bachelors, the priests, the clergy, the liars, the Gibeonites, everybody. And all of that diversity, when it functions rightly, is supposed to create some sweet smell and unity. <laughs> Kings, let me, let me mention one other point and I'll close. And, and what I'm about to say is not an original thought. Um, actually, 97% of what I say is not an original thought. Um, I, I either read about it uh, or I hear it in a sermon. But um, this, this observation that I'm about to make I, um, came, came from a sermon that I heard. Okay? Um, I want you to go back to chapter 6 of Nehemiah um, and look at verse 15 and 16 again. Actually, um, look at verse 9. Chapter 6, verse 9. For they, were all, they all were trying to make us afraid. You see that? Um, now go over to verse 15 and 16. The wall gets built in 52 days, and it happened when all our enemies heard it, and all the nations around us saw these things, they were very disheartened because they perceived that this work was done by God. Do you see that? So in only 52 days, the group that was trying to make God's people afraid, notice who's afraid now. And of whom are they afraid? Uh-oh, say, they, they say. God has done this. Oh, my friends, that the pagan world might say that about Grace Evan. What those people are doing at Grace Evan is so unique, it's so full of grace, it's so full of unity, that the only explanation that I could possibly imagine as to how that is taking place is that God must be in their midst. Because only God... Only God could do that. So don't you mess with those people over at Grace Evan unless you're serious about following Jesus Christ. Guys, completion may not come today, and it may not come in 52 days. But I can tell you that the conclusion, the completion is secure. Jesus wins. And meanwhile, get back to work.
Guys, I leave you with this. Which one of those walls are you working on? Or, or maybe you're, you're more like the nobles. Um, you're here, but you're just not a part. Oh, oh you, you belong to the church. You just don't belong to Christ. Guys, in every gathering of God's people, there are some, there are a few who are there, but they're not there. They're close by, but they're just not really apart. You know, Jesus mentions this several times. Remember the scribe that comes to him and says, what's the foremost commandment of all? And Jesus says, um, love the Lord your God with all your heart and so and, and the scribe says, oh, you've said well there, teacher. And Jesus says to him, my friend, you are close. You're close to the kingdom. You're not in it. But you're close. Is that who you are? You're close. You're here. But you're not in. The other place that he talks about it, which is a terrifying passage in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, when he says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not carry on great work? Did we not uh, work great works in your name? And I will say to you, depart from me. I never knew you. Oh, you were in. But you really weren't in. There's a piece missing. What is that piece? Here it is, ladies and gentlemen. Here's the piece that was missing. It's a desperate conviction that if I am ever to be reconciled to God, my sin must be dealt with. What is it that can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Give yourself deliberately into the hands of Jesus Christ to save you from the consequences of your sin. There is no other remedy. Our Father, would you remind us from this story that the only way that anything ever gets done is because the good hand of my God was upon me. That you have intervened to, um, to grow something, to build something, to honor something, to bless something, to use something, all for your glory. Father, would you see fit to privilege us by using us in a way that will advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Father, for those you brought here this morning who are close, but not in, would you allow them to see that? And would you bring them to the place where the thing that they want more than they want their next breath 
is a relationship with you through faith in Christ. Do that, Father. We ask it in Jesus' name.